take a deep breath in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Just take a moment now and ask the Lord to speak to you through the message this morning in your own words. Father, we come before you just amazed and astonished at who you are. You are an awesome God, worthy to be praised. Let your praises fill this temple. Let your praises forever be on our lips, in our hearts, in our minds, that we would continuously praise you for all that you've done and all you are. Anoint me as I preach, Lord. Let the words that come forth be from you. Open our hearts to hear from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're continuing our series this week uh, called The Lord Is. And we've been talking about the attributes of God that were described or outlined in the book of Exodus, chapter 34. Uh, We've been camping on this passage for the last few weeks, and we're going to be looking at it once again today. Uh, Exodus 34, if you have your Bibles, you could turn to that, uh, and I'll be reading verses 6 to 7, which says this. The Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God Merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Again, this passage is talking about the attributes of God, who God is, and what God was doing here in Exodus 34 was revealing his nature and his character to Moses. And uh, the last few weeks we've been talking about, um, so the first week we talked about God's compassionate and gracious character, uh, his merciful and gracious character and nature. Last week we talked about God who is slow to anger, his slow to anger nature. And this week we're going to be looking at actually the last part of this passage, um, which is the fourth attribute. Um, And so just to make things confusing, I'm going to be preaching the fourth attribute on the third Sunday. Um, But we're going to look at the uh, last part of this uh, passage, which says this. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Okay, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Now, if you're reading this and scratching your head a bit and being like, what is that? What is that? That's a normal response to a statement like this, okay? It's even more head-scratchy when you, if you were able to read it in the Hebrew language, it's got kind of that head-scratchiness to it. Because in Hebrew, if you did a literal translation of forgiving 
iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. In the Hebrew, more literal translation is this. Exonerating, yet not exonerating. Liberating, yet not liberating. Or forgiving, yet not forgiving. And it's like, what? Which, which is he? Is God both? Is he exonerating or not? Is he liberating or not? Is he forgiving or not? Which is he? What does it mean that God is forgiving of iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? What does that mean? Well, to illustrate this further, I want to uh, talk about an Old Testament prophet, one of my favorites, um, by the name of Jonah. Okay, Jonah is an Old Testament prophet. I love the story of Jonah Mostly because it's short, okay? If you have ever done a Bible reading uh, study or whatever, you're going through the Old Testament and you get to the prophetic, well, even the law, the law is, it's, and numbers, oh man, it's brutal. But the, prof, the prophets, whoo, I mean, they're so long, right? Isaiah 66 chapters, Jeremiah's like 50, 52 chapters, Ezekiel 48 chapters, and by the time you get through all that, you're like, I'm just prophetic booked out. You know, I just, I can't read that anymore. I need some Psalms. Okay. I need a drink of water or something. Woo. This is a bit much. Right. But then you get to Jonah and you're like, oh, it's only four chapters. That's, that's pretty easy. Doable. Right. Four chapters. And not only that, it's a very unique book. It actually ends in the form of a question. Okay. So not only is it short, short and sweet, but it leaves you hanging at the end as well. I like Jonah. The story of Jonah starts like this, okay? God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh to proclaim judgment upon Nineveh. Okay, kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah style, saying, you guys are toast, okay? The evil that they were doing was a bit much. And so God sent Jonah to proclaim his judgment upon that city. Now, uh, from a historical perspective, perspective, Nineveh at the time of Jonah was a part of the Assyrian Empire. If you know the biblical history, um, you would know that empire very well because the Assyrian Empire, Assyrian Empire was one of Israel's greatest enemies. Okay? They eventually were the empire that completely overtook the northern kingdom of Israel the 10 tribes that were into the north, there's two tribes in the south, 10 in the north. Assyria came in, totally obliterated the northern kingdom and sp- like separated out all the tribes. And to this day, we call them the lost tribes of Israel. Okay? Um, Assyria did that. And so uh, they were uh, Israel's enemies. They were considered to be brutal, warlike people, ruthless in their ways. And so when God pronounced judgment upon Nineveh, For the Israelites, this would have been like, yes, finally, finally God's going to do something about these brutes. Finally, his judgment's being poured out. Good, good. Okay? So this was welcome news to the Israelites. Now, it's interesting though. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. When God tells him to go to pronounce this judgment, he doesn't want to go. And in fact, he goes to a place called Joppa, buys a ticket to sail towards Tarshish. Neat fact, by the way, about Joppa. 
Many generations later in Joppa is where Peter is. Peter the Apostle's there. And God gives him this vision, right? And he sees all these unclean animals. And God's like, I want you to eat. Kill these animals and eat. And he's like, no way. I don't want to eat that, right? And uh, Peter refused what God told him to do. And uh, the, the whole message of that vision was that God was going to do a new thing among the Gentiles. And he was saying, you know, don't call unclean what God has made clean. And so it's interesting because J- Peter refused to, do what, refused to do what God told him to do. And many generations earlier, Jonah refused to do what God called him to do in that same place. And so I was wondering if Joppa meant, you know, to disagree with God or something. City, that means disagree with God. It actually doesn't mean that. It means uh, beauty, actually. Joppa means beauty. Well, God's ways are beautiful, uh, even if we may not see it that way. So Jonah tries to run from God's plan. Well, sometimes God doesn't take no for an answer, okay? And uh, I'm just going to really quickly blow through this part. I know this is like the most, you know, the, the big part of Jonah's story, especially when you're watching VeggieTales, right? You know, the waves, the, the whale and all that. But I'll, anyway, I'm just going to quickly pass through. So Jonah's on the ship. He's sailing towards Tarshish. There's a big storm. God sends a huge storm. There's waves and everyone's scared on the boat. And so Jonah, eventually he gets thrown overboard and he's in the water. And all of a sudden, a big, great big fish uh, if you read Jonah, in, in Jonah, it says a great big fish swallowed him. Well, Jesus says it was a whale. So um, it, I guess it was a whale, okay? A big whale swallows Jonah and then takes him away. And then three days later, spits him out on dry land. And then Jonah is given a second chance to go to Nineveh. And uh, I don't know about you. If you're in the belly of a whale for three days... You're going to be like, all right, God, I get the picture. Wow, you have to do it this way? My goodness, right? But uh, he gets the picture and he's like, okay, I go, I'll go, I'll go. And then Jonah pronounces this judgment upon Nineveh in Jonah 3, verse 4. This is what Jonah says. And Jonah called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In 40 days. You're going to be overthrown. You're going to become like Sodom and Gomorrah. You're toast. And you know what the people of Nineveh do? They were torn about this. They were completely torn about it. They proclaimed a nationwide fast. People from the youngest of age to the oldest of age, everyone's going to fast. Even the king of Nineveh repented. And he called for a nationwide repentance. This is what the king says. In verse 8 of chapter 3. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. The people of Nineveh repented. They repented of their sin and evil ways. They turned to God and an amazing thing happens. This is what God says in chapter 3 verse 10. When God saw what they did, what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. As soon as the people of Nineveh repented of their sin, God totally reversed the judgment, and he showed his compassionate, gracious, merciful, and forgiving nature 
And if you continue on and read chapter 4 of Jonah, you would read that Jonah was actually shocked by this. He was totally shocked. He was mad, actually. This is what it says. This is what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Interesting. Jonah quotes Exodus 34, 6-7. The passage that we've been looking at the last three weeks, Jonah quotes that. And he says, this is who you are, God. I knew this is who you are. That's why I fled to Tarshish, because I knew you'd do something like this, God. That's what he said, right? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He was so upset. Again, the reason for this is because to Jonah, the Ninevites were the most evil people on the face of the planet. To to Jonah, he believed they deserved every ounce of judgment from God. Maybe we can relate to Jonah a little bit if we were to look at some of the things that are happening in our world today, in the Middle East, in Turkey, in, in Russia, in Europe, right, with ISIS and the atrocious things that they're doing, there's this innate justice, this need for justice that humans have that cries out for what is wrong to be made right. And, and Jonah had that towards the Ninevites, right? Jonah's heart was that these people deserve God's judgment. He was looking forward to some Sodom and Gomorrah fire from heaven. God did it before. He definitely has the just judge side to his character. He does. I mean, to this day, Sodom and Gomorrah is a pile of sand to this day. But instead of judgment, God forgave the Ninevites and showed them mercy. This story, Jonah's story, is a classic story that wrestles with the tension between God's forgiving nature and God's just nature. He is clearly both. God is both forgiving and just. Again, God pronounced judgment over Nineveh. He wanted Jonah to go and tell them, look, 40 days later, you guys are done. That's enough. I've had enough evil. You're judged. Their evil ways were not excusable. Again, and again, Sodom and Gomorrah was wiped out in the past. Nineveh was about to face the same thing. But God showed his merciful side when they repented. So what is this saying about God? How do we relate to such a God? How do we relate to a God like this? Well, it may help for us to look at it from the perspective of a parent-child relationship. Parents, of course, we can have tension between two attributes as well, right? What we show towards our kids. On the one hand, we can express grace, forgiveness, and mercy. On the other hand, we can express anger, frustration, and we could dish out the consequences 
right? There's a tension between the two. Where there is a healthy balance, where there's a healthy balance, there's a healthy relationship. But if there isn't a healthy balance, it can cause problems in the relationship. Let me clarify it this way. These are two extremes, okay? I'm just um, outlining two extremes. Suppose on the one extreme, a child experiences their parent uh, to be only one way, okay? They're only one way. So for example, mom or dad are always letting everything go, right? They never express anger or displeasure for anything, right? There's never any consequences for a, children's action, a child's actions, nothing. Now in a relationship like that, the child could get into situations where they could potentially hurt themselves and others through their actions because there's no perceived threat of consequence. And so the longer a relationship goes on like this, the bigger the potential to fall into the gutter of indifference. And the attitude of indifference is, it doesn't matter. Right? Do whatever. It doesn't matter. I can do whatever. That's not a healthy relationship. That's not a healthy way to live. On the flip side, suppose mom and dad are disapproving and judging every time for all things, right? Constantly judging the way the child is, how the child behaves, how they look, how they dress, how they act, how they don't act, um, even for little things, continuously com- communicating that the child is doing something wrong and that they need to be right. Why can't you get this right? And they're constantly pronouncing judgment. This will produce an unhealthy fear in the child towards their mother or father. And the longer this goes on, the bigger the potential to fall into the gutter of performance. Just do whatever it takes. Say whatever it takes to appease mom and dad. All right, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that, mom. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, I'll say that. I'll say it that way, yeah. Performance. It's not... A healthy relationship. It's not a healthy way to live. Notice I use the word gutter. Okay? Think of a bowling alley. We have some bowler, bowlers at Trinity. I'm not that good at bowling, but... <laughs> I need, actually, I need the gutter blockers. But uh, think of a bowling alley, right? In a lane, there's two... There's two gutters on either side. The goal is to obviously keep the ball out of the gutters. The two examples that I just gave are like the gutters on either side, okay? Going too far on either side of God's nature has the potential to fall into the gutter and cause us to have an imbalanced view of God, which will create an imbalanced walk with God. There needs to be a healthy balance. There needs to be a healthy balance tension. And so Exodus 34 verse 7, which says God's nature is forgiving yet not forgiving, or another way to put it is forgiving and just, is communicating the need we have to form a balanced view of who God is. And to sum it up, here's what I believe Exodus 34 7 is saying, okay? God's forgiving nature keeps us away from legalism. God's just nature keeps us away from lawlessness. Just let that sink. 
into your spirit for a moment. God's forgiving nature keeps us away from legalism. God's just nature keeps us away from lawlessness. And so knowing that, knowing the healthy tension between God's nature of forgiving and just Two points that I just want to leave with you as, as we close. Two points that, um, that are take-home points. The first one is this. Let us remember to walk with God with a balanced view of who he is. He forgives us of our sin, absolutely. As we enter the Passion Week, the Holy Week, it's a time to reflect on what Jesus did for us the price that he paid for all our sin. It was an enormous price that he paid with his life. The blood of the lamb that was shed for our sin. There is forgiveness for our sins through Christ our Lord. But there are also consequences for sinful living, continually living in sin. There are consequences that can keep us, get get us wrapped up in bondage A balanced understanding of God can enable us to walk in the freedom, freedom from the bondage of sin, but at the same time with a caution to avoid sin. We need to have that balanced walk with God. That there is this freedom that we experience. There's also a caution to avoid sin. Number two, take home, is this. Let us remember God's nature of forgiveness in the midst of the world we live in. Okay? Now again, I talked about Jonah and how he was towards the Ninevites. Again, there's this innate sense of justice that is built into humans. When we see something happen to, let's say, a child, I mean, there's something in us that says that's not right, right? There's an innate sense of justice. When we see the state of our world there is an innate sense of justice that we can have. Especially, I mean, I think about the Christians who are in those war-torn nations right now. I could just imagine them crying out to God saying, God, where is your justice? Execute your justice. This isn't right. And I, I mean, I, I don't, we, don't, we don't really know what that's like other than seeing it on the news. We, we don't experience that kind of a persecution here to call out for that kind of justice. But there is this sense, and, and maybe it's more so in America than it is here, that there's this, within the church, there's this cry for justice. God's going to get you, that, that mentality, right? God's going to get you. And, and, and really, we, what we need to remember is that, yes, morally, North America, we're falling apart. We are. It's a broken world we live in. It's getting darker. We can't ignore the fact. We, we can't ignore that. It is the truth. It's getting worse. And, and for some within the body of Christ, they say, you know what? Let it get worse. God's going to judge it. Rather than thinking that way, I believe, like the Ninevites, 
God can totally redeem this nation. I believe it with every fiber of my being that God can and will send revival, that there will be a returning to God, there will be a move of repentance in, the, in, in Canada. I hope in America too. I think so. But for our nation, I, I believe so. That God is going to restore Canada and a mighty revival will sweep across this land. I believe that. I mean, we, we, at Trinity, we, want, we long to see that. I believe he's called us to be a house of prayer to pray into this renewal that's going to happen. And so we need to remember God's forgiving nature. Yes, there is a side to God that is just. The evil that's happening is not excusable. But the answer, I believe, is repentance and revival. So church, it's understandable why Jonah could have been, why he was so upset. But let's not be like Jonah who votes for wrath and votes for judgment, but rather let us contend for revival. That we would see this nation turn back to God the way Nineveh did. God is forgiving. God is just. Let us pray. Lord, help us to walk in a balanced way with you. That we wouldn't be burdened by any fear of judgment or wrath. Lord, you took our sin away. Jesus, you died on the cross for our sin. And we thank you for that. I mean, Thank you. I wish there was more words to express that when it comes to the gratitude of what you did for us. But we truly do thank you, Father, that it is in you that we can walk in freedom. But Father, help us not to take advantage of that freedom, but to remember that we, we still need to avoid the pitfalls of the other side of the gutter, Help us to walk straight with you, Lord. And Father, for this nation, we sang this morning about your kingdom coming, about revival rising up in the land. God, you are preparing the way. You are preparing the hearts of your people. There is a desire that is growing within churches in this city, in this nation, in our continent even, for you to move, for there to be a turning around. God, we believe that you are going to do that. That you are merciful and gracious, you are slow to anger, you are slow to anger, wanting all to come to repentance. It's who you are. You are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You are forgiving and just. It's who you are. And Father, we cry out to you for this nation. Cry out to you 
for revival. That like the Ninevites, there will be repentance. I just feel led to pray for our prime minister. Father, we pray for our prime minister. We pray that you would open his eyes to see you. That he would see you, Jesus, for who you are. Holy Spirit, descend upon our prime minister, Justin Trudeau. That his heart would be opened and his eyes would see Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah who came to take the sin of the world for him and for us all. We also pray for those who are in leadership, Lord, in all different areas of this nation, within the government, within the business world, within education, within um, health, the arts, in all facets of our society, God. That you would call on to them, that they would respond to you, that they would turn to you. And that this nation would be saved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do. Prepare us for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.